This podcast is protected under the laws of the United States and other countries. Unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability, criminal prosecution, and the wrath of the tall man. (laughs) Boy! I have seen the future of horror. His name is Clive Barker. just completed watching Hellraiser in its entirety for the first time and I find it to be a little much on the style over substance. Not really too surprised with Clive Barker being the writer of this feature wanting to being a writer you're not getting your visuals seen so I think he may have been in love with those elements which are great at the beginning great for the closing the final act. The middle a lot lacking I think in the characters like there's not really a lead protagonist it's kind of like two separate stories you have the Julia character who's trying to bring back the brother of her husband who she was fooling around with pretty much the day before the wedding trying to appreciate all his sick and twisted stuff that got him sent to a place between heaven and hell I don't know Cenobites they just uh like to mix pain and pleasure up and honestly there's a little bit of curiosity on that so that opens up the franchise right there and then the second part second story is about kirsty the daughter of the uh, husband trying to figure out what the heck's going on and then get out of what's going on so it's two separate stories and I can't say one's more interesting than the other. It's kind of like I really wish um, this story, this film could have been longer just so we could have fit two stories in. So it kind of feels a little rushed. And the emphasis, is, of course, is on the horrific imagery, which, hey, I dig. But I, it does kind of um, kneecap the story. So hopefully with the sequels, or I should just say the sequel, we get to focus on just one character's trying to deal with the aftermath of this. But, I mean, definitely worth a watch. As an Event Horizon fan, I kind of find it uh, kind of what I think Paul W.S. Anderson may have been trying to accomplish with that. So, it's definitely an alpha. So, if you enjoy the Omegas, you should enjoy this. Little Hand says it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise.
And welcome back to 90 for Chill, the podcast, as heard on the ID10T podcast with Chris Hardwick. This is your host, Cool Movie Starth, is the handle that I'm trying to get over. And thank you, Chris, for allowing that and promoting such. If you want to find uh, the quick letterbox stuff on me, the username is cmdarth. But you know what? Let's just stick to Russ Stevens right now. I am actually waiting to get my guest on for this week. That would be Kodiak Thompson. I believe this would be his third appearance, uh, accompanying those like Ali from Ali's Accessory Shop on Etsy and Gregory Carl. And I believe Joe Golwitzer. That would be at quidpro underscore Joe, I believe. Today, we are going to discuss Event Horizon, probably Paul W.S. Anderson's best film, which kind of indicates that I don't know if he's ever really been a great director. Now, he knows how to make stuff in 3D look awesome. I'm going to give him that much credit. But otherwise, it's all about vanity projects for one Mila Jovovich, which, hey... I love myself some Mila Jovovich uh, vanity projects, so I'm not going to fault that. But I imagine since he wants to do a quick one-hour bit, we're going to get very concise. And we're going to get very much just focused, laser-focused on Event Horizon, starring Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill. I would just like to go out and thank everybody who's helped me out with the October podcast uh, schedule. That would be the Poetic Critic for her discussion about the Dracula features. Uh, Gregory Carl for coming on and discussing uh, Stage Fright from 1987. And of course, Allie from Allie Accessories Shop on Etsy with the well-received Nightmare Before Christmas podcast. So if you want to follow uh, the podcast, well, obviously subscribe on all major platforms i don't count stitcher as a major platform i'm not about this paywall unless somebody from stitcher is listening and hey we can work something out but you know what patreon does it better i think but i digress you know rate subscribe review all that bollocks on those platforms personally if you want to go and criticize this podcast do that on twitter at catbusterus otherwise reserve those five star reviews on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify whatever amazon you use and if you'd like to be a guest on 90 for chill the podcast uh, feel free to send an email to rustthebus07 at gmail.com that's r-u-s-s-t-h-e-b-u-s-0-7 at gmail.com just need a theme a film a director um actor as long as we focus on uh, sub 100 minute movies i'm sure we'll get some podcast gold uh thanks again for coming to 90 for chill the podcast thanks stacia harden for uh keeping me going with your inspiration and thanks for touch all those you touched in your life so without any further ado let's get into the show or at least another hellraiser review i dare say haunting hypnotic Horrifying. Hellbound. Time to play. <laughs> Hellbound. Hellraiser 2. Time to play. Rated R. Starts Friday, December 23rd at a theater near you. Check newspapers for listing. So, Hellraiser 2, or dare I say Hellbound Hellraiser 2, turns out to be... a think a sequel as good as its original it goes and follows up immediately upon the events of the first feature and really goes down that rabbit hole that the first feature only teased 
the story's a lot more coherent, at least until the third act and finale, where it's just all types of crazy. But this is basically a labyrinth for those who thought David Bowie's codpiece wasn't scary enough. Good surprises with uh, actors' choices in terms of who's getting off and who's not. Uh, some clever twists. As I say, it gets a little convoluted at the end, but really it kind of spreads the gore out a little more evenly than the predecessor. If the this feature wasn't dependent upon its predecessor, I would definitely say it would be the superior of the two. So definitely interesting to see where this franchise can go after this. I would say that despite the story being far superior, at least in the craziness elements, the, the direction wasn't quite as good as what Clive Barker offered in the first feature. So if you like the first feature, this is the perfect way you need to see this feature, plain and simple. Hello there. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to 90 for Chill, the podcast. As I was saying in my intro, this week's guest is one Kodiak Thompson. Uh, this would be your third time, I believe, we discussed... Um, Don Coscarelli's movies, primarily uh, a lot of focus on John Dies at the End and uh, Henry Rollins starring features and a lot of love, of course, to He Never Died. So still one of my favorite movies. Oh, yeah, it's it definitely holds up and kind of brings us to the uh, with saying holding up. It kind of brings us to tonight's topic, which would be. Paul W.S. Anderson's Event Horizon from 1997. Really, I think the only original film I get, one that's not a video game franchise from this uh, director, I think. Uh, I think Pompeii Pompeii might count. And uh, Three three Musketeers, but that's an established IP, so. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, I'm trying to think of the other ones that he did that actually come to mind right away with that. Uh, Did he do was he in Doom? Uh, did you say Doom? Yeah. Did he do Did he do Doom with a uh, Rock? Uh, the Drain Dwayne Johnson and Carl Urban. Yeah. All uh, right. P- trying to pull that up right now. I don't believe so. Um. Paul W. There we go. I think I'm off the mark for once. Oh, <laughs> Resident Evil. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yes, yeah, he definitely did uh, four of the uh, six Resident Evils, and I would say maybe half of his were actual good were good movies. <laughs> definitely fair. Uh, oh, original Mortal Kombat. We can't let that one go unspoken. Oh yeah, well that one. Yeah, <laughs> that one's still a lot of fun. I went through the trouble. I bought. Um, Mortal Kombat 11 way too early in its release cycle. So, but I went to the trouble of getting those uh, individual um, character uh, color schemes or whatever. Um, basically, they're all all from the Mortal Kombat movie. So you got Raiden as Chris Lambert and um. But uh, I did take a lot of trouble trying to get the individual Mortal Kombat movie purchased uh, digitally. And, uh, you know, 4K UHD kind of really points out what movies 
<laughs> are not looking that weren't weren't that great when you thought about them. Like I love the original Mortal Kombat. It's especially being 15 when that came out. But yeah, it doesn't uh doesn't hold up um at least visually. So it was nice to have the Mortal Kombat remake, but that one doesn't really uh, hold up story-wise. So <laughs> Yeah, it, uh, it leaves a little bit to be uh, be desired. Well, they just uh, I think it was going well until they got into the actual outworld versus humanity in like a tournament situation, and then they just didn't really have any tournament fighting. It was all. Uh, yeah, that was uh, you can't have Mortal Kombat without you know the Mortal Kombat. <laughs> right. Well, and you had like. The reptile fight, great. Uh, of course, you can't knock the Sub Zero Scorpion brawls. Yeah, um, and I, I'm not even gonna. I think the Goro fight was okay, but everything else, less than a minute, everything is resolved. Yeah. So, but we're not here to talk about uh, Mortal Kombat too much. But I do think about the visual effects, and uh, you know what? There's this great model work i'd say in event horizon i don't know how great the cg still holds up though um for for what parts i remember of it there's i don't believe that there's a terrible terribly large amount of cg in it i know uh claire's eyes were a big one that were kind of weird or her lack thereof that was one of them mm-hmm. but other than that nothing really stuck out as cg i think most of it was practical effect Oh well, I got the movie. I got the movie running and on my TV on mute. And uh, now the opening scene where they're going into the empty, where you're just looking at the empty. Uh, oh, that's right, the empty uh, ship itself. Right, and things floating around. Like eh, you could have probably used some strings on those. I think. I agree with that one. But you know what? As I say, Paul W. S. Anderson does excellent 3d movies or at least fun 3d movies he's kind of a hack really but um it's like he like the like the 80s and the 50s were trying 3d and this guy knows how to throw stuff at the movie at the screen at you so always worth seeing his movie is if you can in theaters because of this but great uh, uh great popcorn films yes I would, I would, it's probably not the last Resident Evil, but I mean, I dug, I dug pretty much the rest of the series. So, um, so yeah, that's, so the effects, I bet, as I say, the model work is great. And, you know, the outer space stuff is, I think, holds up pretty well. Um, but yeah, I would love to see this movie in 3D. I would love to see this movie in just anything that adds, adds more to it. Right. Oh, I can agree. Now it's a little, I'd say weaker on the, uh, I mean, the more you watch it, you kind of, I think the story kind of like you find the holes and it's really in a sense, um, instead of having an alien stalking uh, everybody, it's Gothic horror except it's a haunted house really yeah no i absolutely agree with that there's that uh i was actually talking with a friend of mine about it there's that inherent claustrophobia of being stuck somewhere and this isn't even like a where a haunted house is where you can eventually you know find the door and get out i mean you're Mm -hmm. you're in space around neptune 
yeah, there's a. Uh, well, the moment you know, okay, yeah, we're gonna get on the lifeboat. Um, oh yeah, last time there was a uh, attempt to rescue somebody this far out, <laughs> we lost both ships. Uh, is established pretty early when, uh, probably the best relationship in the film would be that between, um, Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Neill. Yeah, I mean, there's early, there's early movies for both of them too. Well, I mean, you go back to Lawrence Fishburne; he was all the way back in uh, Apocalypse Now, and uh, Sam Neill's only four years is four years removed from Jurassic Park, uh, which is four years removed from Dead Calm. So, though they're they they're both journeyman actors by this point, and uh, honestly, I I enjoy the rest of the cast in a sense that a lot of British actors I just love to follow sean pertwee uh pertree as a uh, smitty he's he's always he's always good to add to your body count and uh jason isaac is dj the trauma doctor i always especially with sean pertwee i had spent the longest time looking at him and like trying to pick out this this note of familiarity with him and not being able to place it for the longest time until I realized that the man is a carbon copy of his dad. And his dad was the third doctor in Doctor Who. You know, I always I, I always ask my older sister about that um relationship or at least the last name. And um I cause she's a big Doctor Who fan. Um Tom Tom Baker is her favorite doctor. Um and well, I don't know, she cosplays as a male a female take on peter capaldi all the time but um yeah i did but she would i don't think she really knew who sean pertree was i guess is what it comes Mm -hmm. down to uh and i've seen him in a lot of as i say i watch a lot of british stuff so i know he was um on the hbo series i think it was rome rather briefly or um and i know him from other movies like um doomsday um if you've ever seen that one from neil marshall i don't think i've seen that one oh it is bonkers in all the great ways so that one's about a uh oh well timely now a uh virus that's ravaging scotland eventually uh <laughs> the rest the rest of the uh uk decides to just cut scotland off build the build a security wall uh, at the same pra- places, uh, the Romans decided to stop. And um, 20, year, 20, 25 years later, uh, the virus has reemerged in London. So they need, to, but, so they release satellite. They find a special crew um, led by Rona Mitra, who, uh, who's best known probably as a Kate Beckinsale knockoff. <laughs> I, I i hate to say it but it's um i can't really say no i mean that's just just it if you can't get her you get rona mitra um and basically like oh well we have satellite photos showing activity in glasgow so there must be a cure so they send them in there and you get uh glasgow's ran by your basic post-apocalyptic punks say a la uh mad max and then uh 
there's a they're feuding with people who have just decided to live in medieval castles and uh it has malcolm mcdowell in it so if you're uh familiar with clockwork orange is the big one he's, he's oh yeah he's the bad guy he's a british bad guy in a lot of stuff tank girl like so definitely recommend that one but um and uh sean pertree gets as i say he's a good body to add to your body count yeah um and then there's a uh, jason isaac i first saw an old highlander episode so and i i think he's actually was a meme early on um he, and he was supposed to do a lot of work with uh, W.S. Anderson. I don't know if it was a fallout or what have you. Um, so honestly, now I just think about the, the cast. This is a cast where we got a horror movie and we have two black guys who both make it out. Yeah, that doesn't. <laughs> that's not a frequent occurrence, as unfortunate as it is. But luckily, it's becoming more and more uh, more and more, more mainstream. Common. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. I kind of love the trope that's my problem agreed yeah it's it's kind of like me having my soccer club uh newcastle united purchased by the saudi public uh sports fund like i don't um you know what what i'm not going to betray my club but the blood money fortunately fans have started wearing turbans though to games so it's like oh so we're gonna mock them as we do it fine i'm cool with that (laughs) <laughs> the uh the thing that i think is interesting over what i would view as the evolution of the trope is that we're at the stage now where everybody thinks you know the the black guy doesn't make it to the end so that when it does happen now you have almost that that surprise and we're back in the territory where that's happening often enough that like you can't predict that this character is going to die because mm-hmm. of that anymore well when your best horror writer uh director is uh jordan peele right now that also helps um with uh of course get out and everything he's been doing uh all the way up to Candyman. so i have not seen the new Candyman nor, yet it's definitely on the list nor have i i mean i still got the halloween movies i i still have to watch 18 and kills uh but uh, to prep for this otherwise uh, podcast, I would uh, actually went into the uh, Hellraiser series because I figure um, it shares a lot, I think, at least thematically. Like what has happened is the Event Horizon spaceship, which is supposed to do a, you know, they say faster than light. I mean, it's a Tesseract. You know, there's so many ways you can call it, but basically bending space time Mm -hmm. and uh, meaning you'd have to go through a dimension to do so. And the dimension they go through probably is inhabited by Cenobites. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's always a a fun part when you you can move to somebody to encourage them to watch it. yeah you know they they punch into another dimension where travel is a little bit shorter and it's hell yep uh i uh as i'm sitting here digging through the trivia page i actually think it's kind of interesting that you brought up the hellraiser thing beforehand um the original script it looks like for the gateway machine the appearance was completely different um 
Anderson actually redesigned the entire thing to the interlocking circles as an homage to the puzzle box from Hellraiser. <laughs> well, I have not seen the, with that said, I haven't seen the fourth Hellraiser, um, but I believe that uh, Hellraiser Bloodlines, where I believe it ends with, uh, like, I guess it's three separate stories. The last story is in space, and the spaceship itself is the puzzle box. Um, so, as they say, I, I would have probably kept watching Hellraiser movies, but, um, I mean, I know that they're really only, uh, once you get into the diehard situation of it, where it's like, oh, this seems like an interesting story. Let's just go put Pinhead in it. <laughs> like, you know, Pinhead and John McClane, the same person. So that's, um, an interesting ele- element. Basically, I didn't watch any more Hellraisers just because uh, it was a- they're all on AMC Plus right now. I just didn't feel like getting the free trial and then, you know, making sure I canceled at the right time and such, all that. Um, but really enjoying Shudder, though. Do recommend that uh, service. Yeah, Shudder's definitely got some good stuff on it. I, I periodically go through and I'll buy it for, or I'll pay right. for the service yeah. for two or three months and just binge like 40 movies and then stop for a little bit right oh i just paid like when i signed up i just paid for the annual and, you know save 20 dollars that way or so um but uh yeah got like i'm i'm finally got my system all streaming wise like netflix 2010 where it was all movies and all weird stuff and sort of uh being so series dependent and everything i don't know how or i don't i guess it worked for netflix but i don't know why you would go into the model of original series and such yeah so yep so let's see man i'm really digging through this uh this trivia page and as they're we're going on a paul ws anderson's miracle adventure to find the pieces for the director's cut mm-hmm. and like, oh. uh so we haven't found them yet correct uh they might have back in 2014 somebody found a vhs that had a rough edit supposedly uh, okay but as of 2017 anderson still hasn't had time to pick up the, the vhs from the person and go to a place that has a working vcr but I am laughing that part of the original footage was actually found in an abandoned Transylvanian salt mine. Well, I did not. I think I may have heard that, but that still sounds nuts. <laughs> Fuck um, of all the things to find. Well, and the location on top of that, it was kind of. Um, yep. Let's see. So, as I say, this film shouldn't qualify it, in it. In its original version, it should not qualify for 90 for chill, but uh, <laughs> um, other things I kind of noticed was, uh, well, I'll just bring it up. How many co- concussions did the Starks, the Stark character have to have sustained? Uh, too many. Yeah, no, I, I, I like she, she, she straight up time travels as someone who's been knocked out will say it. Uh, yeah, I mean, um but it's a uh, another little thing i noticed though was like the hallucinations kind of and it's recent i went to a riff track showing of the movie hobgoblins um a mystery science theater 3000 classic <laughs> and uh 
kind of like the hallucinations kind of operate like that. And I'm trying, I just can't, I'm just short. I'm trying to, and I shouldn't say hallucinations, obviously those. Um, uh, I can't really think of any other feature where they work like that, where it's, that comes to immediate mind where, oh, you see it and you know, it's working against you. Yeah. Where it's, uh, I don't know what, what other term to use besides an active antagonist. Yes. No, that sums it up pretty well, I think. I, um, so in the movie Hobgoblins, like the little gremlin knockoffs are able to do that <laughs> to people. And then you eventually slip, fall, what have you. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I've seen it in other features. I just... Um, and I think I guess it's just something common with um, haunted house movies in general. Yeah, I could definitely agree that it, it it's uh, yeah, words of difficulty. Um, it definitely is, I think is sometimes a requirement that way whatever they're facing is personalized to that person or mm-hmm. that actor character, um, because I mean. Fighting zombies left, right, and center is is one thing, um, especially if you don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. But fighting zombies of like your family or your friends or something like that gives that that psychological factor that just makes it so much worse. Yeah, well, you see it a lot in uh, horror movies in uh, dream states. I will say, um, like American Werewolf in London. Um, dang, I had another dream but oh well the entire nightmare on elm street um, yep so using uh, that, specifically their fears against them in their dreams right um but that's more still of a you know whatever you're gonna end up dead in the real world but um it's not happening to you in the real world yeah i mean well i mean yes and no well, I mean the the first the first kill in Nightmare on Elm Street that kind of just sums up what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you, you see the body helicoptering above the bed, getting shredded, but the uh, the weirdest um, I can't think of the word of it to save me manifestation of psychosomaticism that I've ever seen. Mm. Your brain just tricking your body into adapting oh. these horribly grievous wounds. Yeah, well, there's a recently I've been listening to a pod. I've well, I've been listening to a podcast for about a year called Screen Drafts, um, and uh, recently they had an entire draft on body horror movies. So, um, well, I, so but I think the uh, number, the one that I'm trying to find, it's just um, very difficult. Is a uh, inside uh, inside of me where it's a um, woman who I guess gets some kind of cut on her foot and she's just totally fascinated in it. Eventually she's just carving away at her own body and and doesn't think anything of it. Like we see it from her perspective. And um, so I hear it's deeply disturbing. It usually takes two sittings to watch from what everybody was saying. (laughs) So um if my older sister can watch henry portrait of a serial killer 
I could, I, you know, I got to give, uh, I got to step up my game. So <laughs> at least in terms of trauma and I've seen a bunch of French extreme. So, well, I, I say a bunch, I mean, I've seen high tension and I've seen frontiers. <laughs> so, um, which is, um, again, kind of brings me back to Hellraiser with, um, the violence in this. I mean, this is something you're not going to see in any, uh, any other of, uh, pw uh pws anderson's movies yeah i mean and obviously it was supposed to be too much because we have a 90 minute movie here and we're trying to piece together the rest of it um but especially like we we talk about the the level of of violence and to an extent the level of gore in this i mean in my opinion this more this movie isn't Oh, it's, it's not it's not a saw film you know it's not torture no, porn by no means. not not by any stretch of the imagination it's actually um you know a lot of it, it i can't really say it's that violent a movie of course it's, which, it's relatively tame especially by today's standards yes which is initially kind of funny to me because when this was first presented to the uh the mpaa motion picture association of america mm-hmm. uh, it got the dreaded at the time nc17 rating yep just a concerning thing back then that today this movie i could see it still being r but i could also see a case for even something lesser than that no probably not no no i don't i don't think you can do less than r but um no i mean now nowadays i mean since we're not dealing with uh analog technology i mean you would just you might release this to theaters, take whatever money. I wouldn't I wouldn't spend too much money marketing it, but um myself and then just wait for the DVD sales since this is a cable classic, honestly. And yep. and then with the DVD sales, you'd release the uncut version. <laughs> I wish that was the case. Yeah. But um so uh, in a sense, I guess you could just really say this is ahead of its time. I mean, I mean, I know all the uh, Friday the 13th for the most part had been uh, had a lot of cuts made to them. I've seen enough documentaries about that series. Um, like, nope, you can't slam the sleeping bag more than once. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that those are I mean, everything's gotten a little I hate to say it, a little more tame. I mean, ever since the eighties and uh, you could blame the British for that one of the video nasties, I suppose. <laughs> but um, I mean, nobody was like, it, it's actually really weird when you think the rating systems, like how many kids, at least, you know, being 41, you know, growing up on H. I know so many kids who grew up on HBO. Yeah. And no, parents didn't seem to mind it and then it was horror movies that were the problem though like uh john larroquette ogling women in uh with binoculars and uh through the showers at a army barracks no that's fine <laughs> <laughs> but you get stabbed twice in a sleeping bag we draw the line right um which honestly you kind of with with the tropes of horror it's kind of like well we 
you figure with the satanic panic and everything that you would be playing up the fact that oh you have sex you die i mean i'm surprised uh i don't know maybe the nudity made those christians smeg heads just (laughs) a little too hot a little a little too hot before they realized the message (laughs) um and you know it's it kind of like i guess that's one thing though about this movie and the entire claire storyline so our um the man who invented the event horizon uh dr weir portrayed by sam neill um basically creating the event horizon took all his attention away from his wife and his wife commits suicide and those are his hallucinations and that's really the only nudity we get outside some glimpses of the hell world yeah which Um, let's be fair not something i really want to go out of my way to look for (laughs) yeah no well we say that and then we're we're wanting the the original cut (laughs) that's their point (laughs) yeah i it's so um not having hellraisers i actually went and tried watching an old anime called wicked city on tubi um and the director uh yashi yashiaki kawajiri uh i've seen a lot of his movies and like everything has to be sexualized with that including your violence and such so almost to a point of excess um so honestly i kind of like the restraint on i mean if you took out the language and you took out the language you might have a pg-13 rated movie i mean since we didn't have we didn't get the violence we wanted <laughs> yeah so i mean the uh, most gory thing i think in it is when uh somebody goes out into space without a suit either that or the uh the piece with jason isaac's character oh yeah, being, right uh, yeah um yeah, you could have done, but you could have done that all implied, you know. Um, yeah. Like, um, so it's almost like, well, I got to keep some stuff to get my, <laughs> but they even kind of shoot around that. I mean, in this film. So, I mean, this film didn't really, I mean, I think it was a $35 million budget, uh, which was high for 97. I mean, you know, once Titanic came out, that 35 is nothing, but <laughs> I think the uh, Jay and Silent Bob uh, strike, back, strike Back was a $35 million budget. Um, uh, this guy here is looking, this is just going off IMDb again. Yep. Uh, estimated budget looked like $60 million. $60 million. Oh, um, yeah, but that's just... as a counterpoint a third of that was burned by the opening sequence of cgi oh jeez <laughs> and it's as i say it doesn't that's if it's not in 3d it doesn't it's not worth it <laughs> um honestly i think it, it's scary you pretty much have to spend the same amount of, of the production budget on marketing to make anything a hit now yeah if I mean, you don't know about it you're not going to watch it right well and that's just like as i was writing a a blog just talking about you know how i can you know 
how I'm looking on Amazon for a turban, just so I can again mock this uh, the owners of my team. <laughs> um, <laughs> that uh, you know, Avengers Endgame. I mean, did it really make the two billion dollars? <laughs> Because you pretty, I think you got to spend just you know, as I say, the same amount on it, and I would imagine they spent at least a half of the film's budget, which was probably three hundred million, just shooting a number out there, and so four hundred fifty million, and you're you're almost disappointed that you're only making yeah. you know three times that, <laughs> so. Um, I guess it's more and more why me and my older sister on the podcast do a lot of talking about how Scorsese is right. <laughs> um, and w- well, she's a little harsher on the MCU. I'm just like, yeah, we need more affordable movies telling stories instead of just throw throwing everything at somebody. <laughs> yeah, instead of the uh. Oh, I don't even have a good word for it there. Well, you know, a narrative, a narrative focus instead of a uh, emotion, emotional reaction. I guess is what uh, what we're lacking with the MCU. <laughs> Need to get some more of the uh, the slice of life pieces for them. Yeah. Oh, I love. I, I, now, with that said, I lo- I've loved all three of the C- series I've watched so far on Disney Plus, but. Um, I, I still gotta get on I, I'm gonna start what if soon <laughs> what if was a was pretty cool um, I definitely enjoyed how they decided to go do it with without going into any details mm-hmm. um, with pulling everything together at the end of it was kind of nice for yeah the series right and then uh, that's I, I just knew I saw a art, lot of articles say like on the ringer like and now uh, we can't actually have multiverses <laughs> everything's got to be in the what is it six six one six timeline <laughs> yeah earth 616 okay yeah i mean that's only you know I, I i think about that and i think about all the jake gyllenhaal movies i missed uh and it's like um because like the first thing I saw, I saw Donnie Darko. Like my friends wanted me to watch and analyze it, and I said, "This is garbage." Uh, <laughs> and then um, I was able to avoid everything he did until uh, Okja. Um, you know the uh, uh, Bong Joon Ho Netflix movie that about the giant pig. Um, and then I watched. I I about. Yeah, and then I watched uh, Far From Home, and no, Gyllenhaal's good in it. Not going to question that, but it's just not a great. It's not a great story, though, movie wise. <laughs> so it's kind of so. Again, I think uh, Gyllenhaal ruins everything. And I won't say <laughs> I won't say Gyllenhaal. That's a G. Like you want to say Gyllenhaal, put a J in there. <laughs> so. I don't know. Yeah, I right. I I don't know. I have not run into many people who use Jeff. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was I was an English major, so of course everything. <laughs> yeah, it's on my uh, tits about that. So, but when we bring up the fact that the film was lost 
30 million dollars on its opening sequence <laughs> uh that would explain why the sound effects all come from pc games yes that's you, always a fun one yeah you hear the doom doors obviously but um yeah Could've i know probably... that i definitely recognized them but i can't think of the other ones that are in there well i i i can't recall where the keyboard sound is from and but hey i'd rather you rip off from video games on like gi joe uh the movie that pretty much stole all its effects from return of the jedi yeah <laughs> gosh it's the same software package <laughs> yeah well 1986 there wasn't really those packages though it's like take the tape take that tape <laughs> I can't remember little elements like everything sounds like a like Endor. <laughs> so is all I can say about the effects and that the sound <laughs> effects. Best thing about that is the musical number at the beginning. I know it's not a musical number, but it's a musical number <laughs> just to the G.I. Joe theme. Um, so let's see what else have I got? Um, weirdly enough hmm. we've we've come full circle as far as far as the games go uh event horizon used various game sounds and then later on was listed as inspiration for games like dead space oh yeah um yep um i mean it's i'm surprised we haven't had as many uh event horizon knockoffs really i mean I guess you could probably say the third Cloverfield movie. I have not watched any of those though. Um, yeah, I could definitely see the third, the, uh, the Clover. A different name. Yeah. Cloverfield. Let's see. Clo- the Cloverfield paradox, maybe. We'll swing back around to that. Yeah, I think it is the Cloverfield paradox. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I guess you, I guess you could say once um, there was that Ryan Reynolds movie and Jake Gyllenhaal again. Ugh, damn it! <laughs> like Ryan Reynolds was nothing until he was Deadpool, in my opinion. So, and now he's living up to it. But it's like you, you based your entire life behind a thirty-year-old car, uh, comic book character. The one thought that does come to mind, and this is letting my. Uh my sci-fi nerd come out a lot is whereas it it may not have inspired a bunch of movies i have definitely seen things in various like tabletop and rpg games that are extremely close Mm -hmm. to the concept of this i mean uh, the warp from warhammer 40k is basically a chaos dimension outside of ours that you travel through to get to places quicker uh i know there's one in starfinder that i can't think of the name of right now um and a few others that I've run into that it's like, oh, pretty sure I know where you got this from. Well, I think it uh, just goes in, um, explains why P.W.S. Anderson is the guy who directs all of the video game movies that weren't purchased by Ur Bull. <laughs> um, so, I mean, really, there's only two video game directors out there. Um, Anderson and the German tax shelter uh hack uh bowl um but i mean 
Paul W.S. Anderson is just, I think we can just say is a straight up nerd, which yes, no problem with that, uh, obviously. Um, but he's a, uh, but I guess he, I, I get, I think you want him as a producer, at least maybe not a script writer. Cause we saw the resident evil franchise. <laughs> um, but I do want to see monster hunter. Um, I, uh, and uh, I mean, this guy at least I think understands how video games work. Uh, he might not have the ta- um, this the writing talent to um, make it uh, something, but uh, you you want him as a consultant, I think, is what we've really determined. He's good at pulling the feel of watching a cutscene from a video game. Yes, yeah. Um, which kind of I don't know. Like I, I recently haven't been skipping through oh, the Uncharted trailer. Watch it now before a YouTube video. It's like, why are we even doing? And I guess the same thing can go for The Last of Us. I mean, I I dug The Witcher. That was a pretty good series on Netflix, but why are we really i mean the witcher's an rpg uncharted anything from naughty dog basically is just really sold on its cutscenes. yeah so it's kind of like why are we doing these movies <laughs> like we're, we're we're way beyond the uh, time where we're trying to figure out how to translate super mario brothers which I have rewatched and I've been I've said it a few times on this podcast. And honestly, if it did not have the Mario IP attached to it, not that bad a movie. You just gotta get past that. <laughs> I hate to straight. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. I was gonna oh. say I, I, I still laugh that uh we mentioned Doom earlier as I miscredited uh, it's uh Anderson there and yeah doom being this movie about just fighting demons and everything like that ends up right. introducing one of the weirdest philosophical questions you've ever seen mm. the uh the whole being turned into a demon if you're evil and getting oh, okay good and the one guy that decides to off himself because he sees that he's turning himself into a demon therefore acting for the better good hmm yeah, weird question came from Doom. I just yeah. want to see people hit with a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, it's right. There's no plot to Doom. Honestly, I recently purchased a used copy of uh, Doom for the PlayStation 4, and it's like, all right, I got a few frantic frantic gunfights. Yeah, cool. And now you're expecting me to do a lot of walking, and I don't see, I don't see people on top of me. <laughs> like, <laughs> so... I, I hear, I mean, I've seen enough footage from later on in the game, but it almost was a disappointment that I'm not panicking. Yeah. <laughs> to right off the bat. <laughs> or at least really digging, you know, blowing up a a bottle, I mean, an explosive oil drum and <laughs> seeing... Nailing everything within a yeah, 20-foot radius. Being vaporized, you know. <laughs> Again, though, I was also 13 when that game came out, so anything violent was going to impress me. (laughs) 
Yeah, 13's a, a good age for low bar video games. Yes. Um, yeah, it's almost like we should like. I think way too many things get I get, and maybe it's just because we've had um, how games have evolved. Like I love Doom for just. All right, I'm gonna go and shoot at the general direction. And hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it's gonna register in the hitbox. Compared to nowadays, like I was almost turned off by uh, Call of Duty at the beginning because what do you mean I got to use both sticks to aim? aim? Like one of my big ones as far as like how far games have gone versus being able to just fire in a general direction and possibly hit something. I'm a big Destiny player, and I can't tell you how many times I lob a projectile, whether it's a knife or a grenade, and it goes through somebody's legs. Oh, jeez. Like, come on, make the hitbox a little bit better. Just just give me that. <laughs> right. Well, I've, I've been... I, I do tend to play more of the uh, strategy games. Like, I uh, got uh, Valkyrie Chronicles uh, 4 on my Switch, and, like okay and i'm focused no you don't have to focus it's either gonna it's an rpg (laughs) even if you have got that headshot lined up it's going to play off like an rpg you either hit or you miss yeah so there's no there's the we've yet to find that happy ground (laughs) so let's see and right so effects uh i guess a movie that did uh, come to mind from this uh rewatch would be pandorum i mean yeah it, absolutely yeah that, that that actually probably has more of the event horizon vibe than a lot of films just because you don't know what's going on and then then you have the twist <laughs> yeah but um and maybe that's what this i mean Again, I mean, this is really the only, again, original IP that Anderson's ever done. Um, and maybe, again, you know, maybe some little writing tweaks, but it's a, I don't want to, you know, it's, you can't really, I mean, he doesn't write good movies, but, but I mean, this, I mean, this is the exception. It really just, I don't know. Was it just be ahead of its time, honestly? I think that's definitely definitely a big part of it. I mean, the movie, of course, at its conception was a a massive commercial flop. Yes. Um, Pulling in 10 million on a budget of 60 million. Right. Reportings are only at 26 million on, on the 60 million budget. Yeah. So, but the things that it has, uh, that it has inspired the, the whole vibe of again being lost, not quite lost in space, but lost in space with no way to get away. Right. Every other thing, it's you know we got to make it back to the ships that we're safe. You don't have a ship here. Yeah. You have nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Figure it out. Right. <laughs> Well, it is it is nice throughout it that they do have two ships for the majority of the film. Yeah. Um, we just got to repair this one, then we don't even have to worry about this one. <laughs> and then we're just going to leave this one here and yeah. uh, it's someone else's problem. 
Well, I mean, they had a they had a good enough solution, which <laughs> is the only time where you really see uh, Lawrence Fishburne be uh, Lawrence Fishburne from, let's just say, uh, any other non sci fi Lawrence Fishburne movie. <laughs> like he's just delivering it pretty straight. Matter of fact, I don't intend to leave this ship. Uh, to leave this ship behind i'm going to get to a safe distance and then fire missiles on until i feel it is completely vaporized and of course you get that mino that thug f bomb <laughs> this ship yep. yeah. <laughs> which i i think is just a great line delivery like eh. or I don't know. You see it pulled away. They're not really in close on that scene. So I think that may have been an ADR insert. <laughs> <laughs> um, as for um, Dr. Weir, and I know we got to wrap this up quickly. Uh, there was a screen draft recently um, called uh, for mad scientist movies. Uh, top seven uh, composed by two guest general managers and uh, Dr. Weir get made the list at number seven um so where would you stand on him being a mad scientist um i i would say absolutely well i i it's one of those ones where like well i mean you don't know what the dimension is gonna be but the science sounds pretty sound i mean i get but i guess frankenstein as long as you can throw enough voltage to activate the brain to tell the heart to keep pumping. <laughs> I guess you could it's... say that's sound science, but <laughs> yeah. Ben, ben this... Was this weird instance, and I feel like a lot of it may have gotten cut. Um, like his, I feel like a his... lot of it may have gotten cut in the, the editing when they yeah. had to drop the 40 minutes off. Right. I mean, his madness, he's great. The performance is great, but it it seems uh, like he's pretty straightforward until like they're trapped in the bridge and they start hearing the sound before um, the airlock scene. And then it's like, oh no, I'm just going to go nuts. <laughs> I always got this feeling that when he had designed this, he knew exactly where it was going. That would be, that's, that is probably the um, most sound take. Again, very Hellraiser esque. Like, you know what you're doing when you're opening that box. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess it's all really just another Pandora box story. Like, some things we are not meant to to do. Yeah. I mean, but I love that. I love how science gets involved because it kind of tells you no. There's, there's not. I mean, there's a lot of weird shit out there, but it's not a heaven and hell situation. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's not a god. <laughs> what kind of god would create this and let you accidentally go into it? <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually a almost word for word one of the quotes, something along the lines of, "You know, if if God is everything and everywhere, then I've seen the devil." Yes. Well, I, I can go into my own philosophy based off a Guy Ritchie movie, uh, Revolver, about um, religion. But <laughs> that's uh, for another time. I got to check the runtime of that one. Maybe I can talk about it in the pod. 
so uh so i see that we're running uh running low on the window so do you have anything you want to promote right now no I'm, I'm still not too much on the content creation side i just thoroughly enjoy talking about movies well uh, if you ever want to come on you gotta you gotta film you know if it's under 100 minutes i'm sure i can work something out yeah so uh i mean i already kind of recorded the intro already at cat bus russ is a twitter handle main event of the dead is where all my dot com is where all my writing is and of course always looking for people to at least ask for a script treatment <laughs> of that film um just so i can try getting it out of purgatory i'm sure we can shoot it in a weekend <laughs> i just want to get on imdb someday <laughs> that's and i, I just not not gonna move to LA to be an extra. <laughs> <laughs> so it's gonna walk behind the scenes on some place that's filming. I hadn't really worked that. I mean, there's plenty of Chicago stuff. Like why why I wasn't up there? I was in my twenties when the Dark Knight series came out. <laughs> Just to try to sneak on. But all right. Well, I will let you get back on to your day and uh thanks again for uh helping me out here uh completing the october october horror series <laughs> and um definitely uh watch event horizon folks i mean it's not a you're either gonna think it's the most camp thing ever but you're gonna enjoy it i don't i don't think anybody can not enjoy this feature i agree with that yeah one of my one of my favorite movies it's why i was so excited when i saw this on the the list of potentials to talk about yeah well you know just throw that that was a lot of throwing uh <laughs> throwing stuff at the wall and see what sticks i'll be honest about that so but thanks for coming through and uh have yourself a good day yep you do the same good talking All with right. you good talking to you can i hear a wahoo